Anyway, since we seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. All right, we're recording. Welcome. Hi, to everybody. Episode three of the Straight Law Cocktail. Rob Harvey and my partner Tyler Pollock. Hi, everybody. And as has become tradition in the lengthy history of three episodes of the Straight Law Cocktail, um, we start out with a straight law cocktail, which is three quarters of an ounce of gin and an ounce and a half of dry sherry. Teo Pepe is my preferred. Pre-measured, a shaker, some ice, cocktail glass with an orange peel today. Last week I had a maraschino cherry Shook it up a little bit. So there we have it. The straight Here's. law cocktail. What are you drinking today, Tyler? I'm drinking a, uh, a scotch, Highland Park 12 year. It is my go-to scotch. Lovely. I'm having today. Yeah. Um, so there we are. Uh, we've introduced ourselves. Uh, and what are we talking about today, Tyler? So, uh, you know, last episode we talked a bit about uh, COVID and the law, and uh, we want to be a little more specific today. We want to talk about COVID and parenting in particular. And we've got a new case here in Alberta, uh, the first reported case that uh, deals with parenting during the COVID crisis. To date, we've sort of been relying on a lot of Ontario cases and a few BC cases. Um, and so far to date, the cases have really... Uh, reinforced that whatever order stood prior to uh, the COVID crisis is what the courts are going to adhere to. Uh, and now we've got an Alberta case that delves into that a little bit more. So you remember last week, Rob, we talked about your, your application you had that's been unreported. Uh, and we talked about this uh, Riviero, Ontario case where, you know, essentially the judge just said, you know what, the, the law is going to stand. The order before is going to be what we adhere to. Um, you want to tell us a bit about this new SAS case? Sure. Well, uh, I don't want to spend too much time because we might have some conversation about how relevant case law is and dealing with yeah. children anyway. But SAS and LMS, uh, 2000. 20 decision with Justice uh, Grazer, Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta, dealt with one of these COVID arguments again, where the mother apparently felt that the father was not being sufficiently careful about adapting to the uh, COVID issue. And so um, she denied uh, contact and he brought an application and the judge had to look at the circumstances. So without going into the detail, it appears that uh, uh, the dad is an accountant and he was not taking this seriously in the least. He was doing all sorts of things that were not really uh, compliant with what we've been told about uh, isolation and social distancing. And the mother raised those concerns and the court looked at it and the court found, yes, there's a lot of things the father's doing that don't seem to be uh, showing that he really understands the seriousness of the COVID issue. Um, so what the judge did at the end of the day, uh, he said a few things. Uh, one of the things he said is, first of all, mother, uh, you can't just ignore a court order. The onus was on you 
to bring an application to change the status quo if you felt the current order was inappropriate. That being said, you didn't penalize the mother at the end of the day. Um, now, similar to the case I had, the judge said something similar. Uh, didn't say the onus was on her, but said, I'm satisfied that her refusal to comply with the access was not motivated out of malice, but was out of a sincere interest in guarding the children's welfare. Uh, so, uh, but the judge did say that. So the first thing is if you're concerned about your kids going with the other parent, uh, you should call your lawyer and say, bring an application to uh, have it declared an emergent situation and then uh, seek an order limiting or reducing or striking the contact with the other parent based on uh, the children being put at risk of disclosure. Uh, personally, I think it's a little bit problematic because just to get in front of a judge, it has to be declared emergent, right? And so if you're the one in control of the children and you say, I need to bring an application because I don't want dad seeing the kids right now because he's not doing the right things. I'm not sure that's emergent. Whereas if you're the dad and you're not seeing your kids, uh, near as I can tell, uh, the courts are saying that is emergent. So I'm not sure, but I think there might be a concern if a mother did bring such an application court might say, well, this is not really emergent, so uh, we're not going to put this on the docket. What do you think? Yeah, there is that kind of confusing part, right? Where, and let's, I guess let's sort it out a little bit. So you've got the custodial parent saying, hey, I got this emergency where I don't think uh, the non-custodial parent or the other parent uh, who's going to spend time with the kids, has, you know, is, is adhering to health standards or whatever. Uh, and that in and of itself typically isn't really an emergency, right? I don't agree with what they're doing during their parenting time. Not an emergency, typically. Yeah. Uh, but if the application is, hey, look, the other parent won't let me see my kids at all, well, now that's an emergency. So, but this case, you know, says, look, the onus, and it's specific, the onus is on the parent wanting to vary or withhold the kids or vary the current order that they need to bring the application. Uh, so you're right, there's this sort of funny catch-22, and I hope that judges who review the applications for whether to decide whether it's an emergency and whether it should be heard would look into the fact that this case says that person needs to bring the application. Yeah. Now, that being said, maybe it's sufficient if, you, if you're the parent who doesn't want to provide access to bring the application, even if it's denied to no fault of your own. Uh, and then, you know, as far as a lawyer goes, uh, you know, there's this interesting thing where a lawyer can't tell their client, hey, don't, don't abide by a court yeah, order. Yeah. Uh, you know, lawyers can't tell their clients don't abide by a court order. And that's not what I'm suggesting. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, one parent brings the application. They said, that's ah, not an emergent. Uh, and then they withhold access uh, on the basis of their concerns. Well, yeah. now can you really admonish that parent later? Uh, and maybe or maybe not. And this case is interesting, too, that it talks about, uh, you know, taking the self-help remedy of withholding access and saying, look, that's not okay. You got to abide by court orders. But in rare circumstances, a court will forgive that. And that's an interesting thing. And that puts lawyers in a funny situation, too, right? Uh, what do you do as a lawyer when you know, hey, maybe there's this possibility that with reasonable concerns, you might be forgiven for not abiding by a court order when you can advise your client not to abide by a court order. 
And I think there's, you know, it, it's interesting because as an officer of the court, our obligation is to encourage respect for the system and to, and part of that, our ethical obligation is not to counsel a client to ignore a court order or to fail to obey a court order. That's pretty clear. I think all of us though have a sense that that's a little bit contextual, right? So to use an obvious example, a child goes for a Wednesday night visit with a parent, comes back with uh, bruises and a broken limb and says, mommy or daddy, you know, beat me up and hit me with a tire iron. And then there's another visitation coming up in, you know, 48 hours. I think you'd probably be okay telling the client, I probably wouldn't deliver the kids and we have to get after an application right away. You know what? I As don't a young think lawyer, somehow uh, the law society would go, well, you counseled your client to ignore the court order. And I guess my response would be, damn right I did. Right? Yeah. Now, that no, being I said, I also counsel my client that we need to get uh, relief from a judge. We can't simply use health, self-help. And that's something that Grazer said here is, you can't just willy-nilly ignore orders without taking some reasonable steps to ask a court to uh, consider whether the existing order is appropriate. Yeah. So that's the, so the problem with COVID is, um, it's not as obvious as dad seriously assaulted or mother seriously assaulted a child. But, but the interesting thing is, is it still relates to the health and safety of that child. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the issue we talked about last week was yeah. kids are pretty healthy with COVID for the most part, but other people might die. And the current sort of case law is, yeah, if people die, they die. As long as the kids are good. It's all good. Okay. So be, let's get, I mean, you say that, you know, we smile, but let's talk about that. What is, why? So, I mean, why do you say that that's the current case law? And maybe I can fill that in. I think the reason we're saying that is, is because you know, we got these parents with, and now in Alberta, where the judge says legitimate concerns about dad's behavior. And that judge admonishes this dad and says, look, that was not appropriate behavior. I mean, I don't know the exact line, but the judge said, you know, dad's not taking this seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and at the end of the day, the dad says, or sorry, the judge says, we're, yeah, we're going to arrange, we're going to make sure access occurs more or less. Uh, go make some ar arrangements that where dad takes this seriously. And if you can't do that, well then come back. Right. So that's why you're saying, look, uh, yeah, the courts are pushing access regardless, even with the legitimate concerns. Right. Well, in the, in the SAS case, in the Ribeiro case, uh, yeah. You know, they say in, in SAS paragraph 84, the guiding principle in this case should be that it is in the best interest of the children to continue with shared parenting rotation. So, Again, they're referencing best interest. There's no reference that in these unusual cases where there's a pandemic, we have to also consider the broader interests of the community and the interests of the cohorts, to use a word, other people in the homes. It's, again, uh, reference says best interest. And I, and I think that's a, it's an interesting issue. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that all day long in terms of the courts are fond of locking on to certain fundamental principles and it's like taking a bone away from a Rottweiler to say, maybe in this case, this principle should be set aside just for a moment because that Rottweiler is going to bite your arm off. And I think if you said to a judge, which I did, <laughs> I don't think the best interest is the only thing that we look at here. Um, now the, the judge I dealt with was a very reasonable sort and, and yeah. decent fellow, but, but, that sense of 
no, 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 this is it, right? So uh, anyway, we're getting a little afield, but, but the bottom line is uh, the court said, mom, uh, if you don't want to comply, you need to get your lawyer to do something. Don't just use self-help to circumvent the intention of a court order. Um, but then the, the interesting thing in SAS is this guy was horrendous if, if what the court found is finding the fact were true. Um, to some degree, he, he kind of showed that he didn't really have much concern about the COVID issue. Um, a real complete disregard yeah, seems to be. You know, and and you look at the Ribeiro case, and the court uh, doesn't rely on it, but references Ribeiro and SAS. And Ribeiro says there should be zero tolerance for people who ignore those. Okay, well, this guy clearly ignored them. Now, what happened? Well, the court said, I'm not going to enforce the order right now. I'm going to adjourn this to allow you to come back and uh, satisfy the court that you're serious about the COVID, right? Um, so basically what, what the court said, paraphrasing is, dad, come back and do a mea culpa a little bit and tell us that you're going to do the things that we expect you to do in terms of uh, keeping the children uh, isolated from potential exposure to all extents possible. And that includes how you're gonna deal with your work. Uh, he's a professional accountant, so what are you gonna do in your office to maintain distancing and, and cleanliness? And, and the sense you have is he's gonna come back and he's gonna say, okay, I'm doing everything that you kind of implicitly wanted me to do. And then the court's gonna tell the mother to hand the kids over is, is my sense. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree with you. But we should, I mean, we should be clear for our viewers or listeners, uh, really what the judge was at here. And so, you know, to set this up a little bit, the judge uh, was making a decision based upon an application brought by dad to reinstitute his access. And, you know, his application was denied for now. So when you say, yeah, okay, he wasn't going to do anything for now. That's true, right? So his application was denied. We're not going to enforce it now. Uh, and then the judge set up in, the, in this decision, set up some rules and said, look, one of the big rules is going to be that uh, the, let's call it non-compliant or non-concerned parent is going to scrupulously comply with the COVID-19 rules. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right that that's what's going to happen, right? And if I was the lawyer for dad, I would say, here's the rules. Here's what we're going to do. And I would just lay it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to socially distance ourselves completely right down to grocery shopping and sanitizing groceries and only one person in the household grocery shopping and, you know, uh, not going to the office unless necessary, really necessary. And then when they're still maintaining distance and keeping, you know, everything right. And, and that's absolutely what's going to happen, right? Dad's going to come back and say, yeah, here's what I did. And then this court, you know, this case might not even return, right? I mean, this case might be, uh, you know, dad's going to provide these assurances. Mom's lawyer is going to say, yeah, you know what? That's the fate. That's what, that's what the court wanted. That's yeah. what you wanted. Uh, we got to give it a shot. And just like, you know, and I have clients come to me all the time and say, Hey, I got this concern about parenting. What can I do? And I say, yeah, you know what? I, I understand your concern. I appreciate that it's real and it's real to you and it's and whatever. Uh, there's nothing we can do until those kids have suffered some harm. And yeah. then we can seek some relief from the court. And that's what's he, that's what the case is going to be. Right. Uh, you know, so dad's going to come back and say, all right, 
here, here's my list. This is what I'm going to do. They're going to give data access. And then we're going to see, okay, does that comply or not? Yeah, I think now that's, know, it's worth noting in the case that the judge put a pretty tight leash on it. Uh, if the parties are unable to arrive at a solution that restores a shared parenting regime within a week from this decision, they may contact me to continue the application. So he gave him a week. So the odds are pretty good. I think you're right that um, the father's being told, you better tell the mother you're going to do all the right shit. And the mother's being told, if he tells you he's going to do the right shit, you better comply with the order. Yeah. I mean, the father's being told, do the right shit. And the mother's being told, if he tells you he's going to do it, yeah. give him the kid. Now, and let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Now, telling him he's going to do the right shit is not the same as doing the right shit. Right. And let's all hope that he does the right shit. Well, the odds are he's not. That's what kills me. Right? A little pessimistic. We have such a naivete. I mean, how's a mother going to know what he's doing in his office? whether he's actually sterilizing shit and avoiding seeing clients directly, you know. Um, now, some of the mom's concerns could be alleviated because the kids, uh, I think they were nine and 11. However, you know, they were old enough anyways. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly. They were old enough that they'll report back to mom. So, yeah, when yeah, they, but, you know, the kids the visit in the office being what, left in the car. They don't know to what To the extent does. that we don't know what, yeah, we don't know what dad's exposure will be. You're so that right. that gets me to kind of, really why I wanted to have another kick at this cat yeah was we talk a lot about judges and lawyers and the law but the reality is these people deal with each other and, and it's a parenting issue and the court is uniquely shitty at being a parent for other people's kids right and you know what i think the court would recognize that and they don't want to make those decisions they want parents yeah. to do that so i think the point is and what i wanted to talk a little bit about today is what should people do right outside the realm of the judicial system and lawyers, what should they do, right? And, and these things give us, these cases give us a little bit of guidance, I think. Um, yeah. But there's other, I, I think there's, to some extent, you know, they talk about good faith effort at finding solutions to this problem. Um, and one of the things I've, I've talked to clients about, and it's hard, you, you mentioned it earlier, uh, people are together and then they're not and sometimes there's infidelity but on some level there's lack of trust for certainty and now they're supposed to parent together right yeah and so what i try to talk to my clients about is if if you want a tug of war for the next 10 years you can have a tug of war right where every time you pull the other parent pulls back what you want to try to arrive at and it's hard but it's possible our mutual understandings of what reasonable parenting looks like, right? So that there's a buy-in on both sides. And in my mind, what that requires, first of all, is um, not telling the other parent what they have to do because you don't have that power and they know that, right? So other parent, you have to wash your hands every time you pick up a piece of food when the kids are over there, right? That's just begging for the other parent to go back and go, yeah, go fuck yourself, right? You can't tell me what to do in my home, right? On the other hand, you approach the other parent and you say, look, um, I'm not sure what you think, but one of my thoughts is one of the things that, that we could do, so it's bilateral, I'm not telling you what you should do with the kids, 
what we should do is maybe this. What do you think? Right? And be prepared to compromise. So if he goes, well, I don't think you got to wash every piece of food that comes from the store. Um, you know, I don't wash bananas because I don't eat the outside. Well, yeah, but there might be COVID on the outside of the banana, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you have this conversation, but be prepared for him to go, okay, well, you know, I think washing apples and things that when you eat the skin, I think that is probably reasonable. I don't really feel that way about bananas or, you know, grapefruit. Uh, okay, uh, what else? What do you think, right? Give the reins to the other parent. What are some things you think we could do, right? Show some respect that they love your kids too, right? Because there's way too many people, they have this arrogance like, I'm the only person that can make good decisions for our children, ignoring the reality that you have two parents. And, and that's hard. And sometimes the other parents are going to go, I don't give a shit, right? But I think if you make the effort, there's a potential anyway that the other parent has a buy-in to it. And they feel like, okay, you're respecting me as a father or mother. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll agree to A, B, and C, but E, you know, I don't think I'm going to worry about that. And be prepared to go, okay, you know, I'll live with that, right? Because now what you've got is 80% compliance versus 0% compliance versus I don't need to go get my lawyer two or $3,000 to argue about this for both. Um, yeah. so, so, so for me, starting with the, I guess what I call the primary parent, it, raise the issue and then ask that other parent for their input before directing what needs to happen. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're, you're bang on. I mean, there's a, it's a way different conversation when you say, you know, comparatively, when you say, uh, Hey, this is what you need to do at your house when you're parenting kids compared to, uh, Hey, I'm thinking this is what we could both do. Or even compared to if you have, if you have a particularly contentious relationship, uh, taking the position where you say, Hey, parent that we really don't get along and have a horrible history here's what I'm doing in my household. Let me know if there's anything you're doing in yours that you want me to implement in mine and, and extending that courtesy and seeing if you can get something back. And maybe it doesn't happen and maybe it does, uh, but it starts to show that kind of relationship where you can work together. And, and that's important. I mean, it's going to be beneficial in all aspects, but particularly when you've got two issues to do with COVID, one is, are they actually doing things? And the second one is, uh, what sort of reassurances or knowledge do you need to know about those things, right? Maybe they aren't going to do everything you want, but maybe you're going to feel a hell of a lot better if you at least know what they're doing. And by volunteering what you're doing, you might get some info back. Yeah. And I think that the parent on the receiving end of that advice, right? Say the non-primary parent, they need to be open and they need to participate. If you want to be respected as a parent, you need to act like a parent, right? So if there is an issue, if your kids, you know, whether it's COVID or allergies or whatever, show some responsibility, step up, right? And say, okay, yeah, I think this is a bit of a serious issue. Um, my thought is we could do this and that, and uh, I won't take the kids here and there. Um, what do you think of that, right? And now what's happening is, you know what? We don't love each other and we don't want to be with each other, but, uh, I'm feeling a little more faith that this other parent is, is not just trying to uh, assert themselves um, at the expense of our children. 
And I think that's so key in, in a pairing dispute. And I'm seeing it in these COVID decisions. You, you know, you see this tug of war, um, you know, and, and you get to that fundamental issue of, do you really give a shit about your kids? Do you care about your kids? And I think it'd be very unusual for a parent not to. I'm no sure there's cases, but yeah. for the most part, fathers and mothers, they love their kids and they want their kids to be healthy and happy, but they get in their own way sometimes because they let their emotions or their angst or their anger get yeah. in the way of just making better decisions. Yeah. So yeah, you're right about that. So, you know, and I don't want to be sort of gender biased, but mothers are predominantly still the primary parent. At least um, in our system. Yeah. Yeah. We see that lots. And so um, understand what it might feel like for the other parent, usually the father, but not always, to be in that non-primary position, to feel like they don't matter, to feel like, yeah, I'm paying support, but nobody really cares what I think. Well, if the phrase that shoes, I hear, would it feel, how would it feel for them to show that you care about their opinion? And I think you're going to get more buy-in because most people are, are somewhat reasonable. Very few people are complete sociopaths. Very no, few people, right. you know, are, are, you know, so, so what we didn't really talk about last week that I thought would be really helpful this week is to say to people, here are some things that you could actually do. So um, if you're the primary parent, maybe start by asking the other parent for their input, raise the issue, explain why you're concerned, but don't tell them what they need to do. Ask them what their input is. Because if they tell you the rules should be this, you got a much higher probability that they're going to follow those rules. Even SAS. My concern with SAS is the judge says, you're an irresponsible asshole. If you want your kids back, you're going to have to do the right thing. Well, it's not really what the judge said. The judge says, you have to give me a plan to tell me you're going to do the right thing. So my concern is SAS maybe doesn't have a buy-in. And so maybe he's going to do the things where he knows he might get caught. But the odds of him doing the right things in his office right now, I'd say are marginal. Yeah, I would agree with you. Because he's going to have a bug up his ass because he just spent a bunch of money on a lawyer. And he just had some judge tell him at the request of his wife that he was being irresponsible. And he's going to want to pull on that tug of war rope a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. The problem more is, adversarial, yeah. Even once the COVID gets done, there's going to be a payback for this woman, just about guaranteed. Because this is what people do, right? He's gonna assert himself in some way that's less than productive for these kids. That's just my experience. Okay, but and, and you wanna know why? It's because, it's because they've engaged in the adversarial system, right? They've gotten to the yeah. point where they have gotten, now they need to go into court and yeah. fight. And it's one win and one lose yeah. and there's no other way. So now, yeah, one guy won, one guy lost. And that's, and now, yeah, there's going to be payback. There's going to be vengeance. There's going to be a resentment that built up. It's going to be harder to co-parent going forward. And interestingly, the judge comments that these people who have, I, I think they shared 50-50 parenting, more or less. And, uh, and the judge even commented, there isn't really a history of litigation between them. They've been reasonably good co-parents. There isn't a concern about alienation. And now we've engaged this process that's adversarial and it's, doesn't make it better, makes it worse. So when Rob's telling you, you know what? Offer some information to the other side. Ask them for input. That's yeah. 
darn good advice. That is such good advice. Let's, let's get the other person engaged in the process. They'll have more of a buy-in and you avoid this adversarial system where they're going to try and get you back, which isn't what you want. And a lot of the time cost you money for us lawyers. uh, And that's only benefits us, not you and certainly not your kids. And I think for both sides, it's show some respect for the other parent and be prepared to compromise within reason. Right? So if, if, Primary parent says, you know, I'd like you to make sure the kids wash their hands before every time they eat. Okay, well, I think that's overkill a little bit, but okay, it's not gonna kill me. It's not gonna hurt me, particularly with the COVID. Why wouldn't you agree to it? Yeah. Right? Um, Flip side is mother says, uh, you know, I want you to wear a hazmat suit before you hug the kids, right? Yeah, you know, mom, you're being a psycho. So if dad says, yeah, I don't feel real comfortable with that. I'll wash my hands, you know, when I come home from work before I hug the kids. You better be prepared, in my opinion, to say, okay, that's fair. Yeah. And so when you compromise a little bit, that just bodes well for improved relations as you go forward versus no compromise, which ends up in court. And then also ends up with this sort of ongoing kind of battle of wills where the kids are the losers and the lawyers are the victors. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today was giving parents some opportunity to to do things that are constructive versus combative. The other yeah. thing I would do, I think, is okay. So you have this conversation and you seem to come to some common understanding. Um, confirm it by an email, right? But not an email like uh, you agreed to do this, so I expect an email that would sound something like. Yeah, further to our conversation, I just wanted to make sure on the same page, my understanding is we've agreed we're going to do A, B, and C. Um, If I'm incorrect, please let me know right away because I just want to make sure that I understood things properly, right? Now what you have is um, you get the form of an agreement that's been documented. Yeah. So if you do have a problem somewhere down the road and you do have to go to court, you can do a couple of things. I made good faith effort. Uh, he agreed to do these things. I sent him an email that he or she uh, tacitly acknowledged, certainly didn't object to. And now that other person is not doing the things they said they were supposed to do. Now you've done more than being reasonable. Yeah. And it's going to be much easier for you to assert yourself when you're trying to protect your kids than if you just did a bunch of self-help and dictated what was supposed to happen with the other parent. Yeah. So uh, that'd be my basic advice. You know, have a conversation, show respect, be prepared to compromise. And then in a, in a, in a reasonable fashion, try to confirm that with the other parent in a written form and avoid going to court. And you know what, one interesting thing that this judge does is compares the relationship of the couple who are living separate and apart to that of an intact family and says, yeah. look, in an intact family, uh, we wouldn't expect X, Y, or Z, but yeah. we would expect uh, A, B, and C. And you know what? Uh, maybe gauge your negotiations, gauge your behavior a little bit on what would we be doing if we were an intact family? Yeah. We would be able to have these conversations. We would show respect we would bring things up in that sort of respectful, acknowledging sort of way. And I think that's key. And I think even broader than the COVID issue, and I think 
more good lawyers have have understood that the family continues after a divorce right, right? and that is a different form of family but it's still a family and so this idea that now you've got two separate homes and families and never the twain shall meet it's this ridiculous illusion yeah so i think what we've done as lawyers particularly in the last five or ten years is we've started to articulate better to our clients that we've changed the family dynamic, but the family dynamic will continue. And for obvious reasons, right? Because you have kids together and the parents need to try to get on side about making good decisions for their kids. Um, because kids are gonna challenge you. And if you don't have a cooperative relationship, holy shitness, right? Yeah. Um, you got a making of a nightmare. So, you know, and that, I think you're right. That's a good point that that uh, Grazer says, yeah, you know, this is a different kind of family. I like that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I have to say about that. That's what I have to say about it too. <laughs> so that's what I say about that. Uh, how long have we been going? I haven't been keeping track. When did I text you and tell you I was online with another lawyer? Yeah, I don't know. That was a two or three. Yeah, I think it was fair, but we must be a half hour, 40 minutes. I think so. I mean, we keep going on a little bit. Uh, we made it a little shorter last week. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little interested to see about what your take would be on where lawyers are at. And you know what? I think there's always this interesting thing between you and me where you've got this experience and you've been a bencher and whatever and i seek your mentorship and not everybody has that so i think that our viewers who are who are lawyers especially young lawyers are interested to see that dynamic and i've been messaged about this right i've had emails and texts from lawyers younger guys or girls who are like you know curious about that and i think one thing that comes from this case is how do we deal with the fact that we're not supposed to tell our clients to breach a court order when really they probably could, they're going to get forgiven and um, it might be in the kid's best interest or in the client's yeah. best interest. And that's sort of an interesting thing. Yeah. And like I said, as, as a rule, you don't ever. Yeah. But in limited circumstances, there may be a time and place to say, hold on to the kids until I can get in front of a judge. Now in these circumstances. But it better be a pretty serious issue. It can't be. Hell Yeah he yelled at the kids last weekend or, you know, he didn't, he fed them milk and he knows they're lactose intolerant. Right. I mean, literally you, we'll get calls like that. I want to yeah. deny visitation because, you know, uh, and it's gotta be based on real substantiated facts. You need to have an email or a text or a picture. There's something, some sort of substantiating evidence, not yeah. just, you're alleging or you're worried or you're concerned. There's got to be something real. So like you said earlier, get this in an e email and say, look, here's what we agreed to. Let me know if, you, if, if I misunderstand. At least yeah. then there's something that could substantiate your allegation at a later date. Yeah. But you know what? As a young lawyer, I'm a little more cautious than I think you might be, especially with dealing with law society or whatever. You know? And so I would say before I tell a client, hey, you hold on to them kids before we get in front of a judge. I would probably tell the client, yeah, you know what? We got 24 hours, 48 hours. 
I'll just go get before a judge anyway. You know, I'll, yeah, yeah, right now it's hard. I, I agree with you. The fact that I was a bencher of the Law Society, I, I fully support the, our ethical obligation not to tell clients that orders are, you know, to be ignored. Yeah. I'm just saying that there could be cases where for the protection of a child, you would tell a client to hold on to a kid as you try to get an emergent hearing with the judge. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, right. I'm going to file an application in three weeks. So just, you know, don't let him see the kids. Uh, it, as a general rule, it's no, 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 no. You, you need to comply with the order. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm just saying there could be, in my opinion, the odd case and, and COVID's not one of those cases. Right. And it doesn't, doesn't seem to be um, for sure. Yeah. You know, in my own case, you know, I certainly didn't say to my client, well, just don't let them see the kids. No. I said yeah. to my client, court order is a court order. And technically you're in contempt already. Right. Now Grasser makes it a little clearer and uh, you know, bring the application. But what do I do in the meanwhile? Uh, if you don't comply with the court order, you're going to be held in contempt, right? Unless you get some sort of forgiveness in certain circumstances, yeah, which is not is, defined yeah, but by the court and not like okay that, for a lawyer. When you qualify it like that, you know, the client, you know, unless the court says it's okay, eh, my lawyer kind of said it didn't really have to comply with the order. So yeah, you don't want that. You don't want those words out in court. Yeah, you comply with the order. Except in the one in a million case where there's a demonstrated significant risk to the child. And even then, at best, you're going to say, hang tight for 24 hours so I can get a judge on the phone. And definitely talk to a lawyer first and get your lawyer's advice. Don't just do it. But, yeah. but and you know what? I've been that guy. I've been that lawyer who's called the courthouse and said, hey, I got to get in front of a judge in the next hour or two hours on a Friday afternoon because there was some family violence that occurred or whatever. And, and so I've been that lawyer. home one night at 10 o'clock in the evening due to a risk well, of violence. And I contacted the clerk and said, look, I need to see a judge. Here's what's going down. And so I don't know where the judge lives or how you get, but I need, this is, and she did, right? Uh, it was L.D. McLean. He's passed away since, but, um, she called him and he said, come to my house. And I went to his home and with a draft order in my hand. And he, you know, said, what's going on? And I explained it to him and he goes, you got the order. Wow. So, I've held mean, judges up on a Friday afternoon, but I've never showed up yeah. at their house. <laughs> well, you know, that's once in 35 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you got a situation where somebody's threatened to kill somebody. Um, yeah. You know what? This is not going to wait until Monday morning. No. This needs now. Um, uh, you know, so hopefully, and luckily, most cases aren't kind of like that. No, of course. The other thing I should probably mention, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not. I think I maybe did. Um, uh, I was on an application on uh, Wednesday morning. And uh, towards the end of the application, uh, the judge says to the other lawyer, uh, or no, he said to me, something about the Cocktail Lawyer podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of laughed. And the other lawyer went, what? 
what are you talking about? And the judge said something about, well, you, you, you know, you obviously don't know anything about anything. You're not with it. If you're not watching YouTube, it's the Rob and Tyler on their podcast, uh, which I found kind of amusing, but a little alarming at the same time, knowing there's at least one local QB judge that might be watching this podcast. Um, so Justice Miller, if you're watching this, um, I'm not going to water it down. So if you say something that I think's you know, questionable, I'll probably say something. So just so you know. Being a younger lawyer, this is I'll the water it down. Law podcast this is not the adulterated law podcast no or fair the, enough i'm saying that yeah you know or the cautious law podcast <laughs> um now all I'm, right yeah no holds theoretically hard, yeah. you know what am i five years from retirement i can afford to be a little more uh direct than maybe you feel comfortable with from time to time so if i do something that irritates you know the powers that be it's my fault and it's nothing to do with tyler thank Just you Miller. I may know of other uh, judges or justices who are who are watching. We get a few, I think, so that's good. Well, then they should be on guard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think we'll call it a day. My drink is almost done. I just finished mine. Now it is done. This is a real pleasure again, everybody. Uh, take our advice. We, this has been good, yeah. And again, we at this point have not received any letters or emails, but if you send us letters or emails, we will respond on the podcast. You know what? Let's slow down. We did get a reply or we got a comment on, uh, on, the, on the YouTube channel from what I believe is a school teacher. Uh, and we'll give a shout out to that school teacher who gave a comment. Thank you. And we responded and check out our page if you want to see the comment and the response. But... You know, we've got combined eight or nine hundred dollars an hour here, and so <laughs> right. if you got a basic question, um, shoot us a note. Yeah, we'll be happy to talk. We'll about deal it. with it. Absolutely, understanding for free. What a bargain! What a bargain! Lawyers given information for free. Get it when it's available. So that being said, Tyler, have a lovely weekend. Cheers, everybody. Take care. Bye for now. Yeah, just as an add-on, I guess, to today's podcast, um, uh, I got some very sad news today um, that uh, a lawyer in Lethbridge, a lawyer that was my employer when I articled, passed away today, Phil North, our Philip M. North. And uh, it's really sad. He is one of the finest people I've had the good pleasure to know in my lifetime. Uh, working with Phil when I worked at, it used to be Patterson North. Um, he was the one of the most decent um, uh, and intelligent lawyers I've ever known. And I know that he'd been sick for a while, and then uh, I got news today that he passed away. So I just wanted to uh, send my condolences to his family and to all the lawyers at uh, now North and Company that I know must be devastated with this news. And uh, just wish her best and um, um, rest in peace, Phil. You were uh, one of the good guys. So, take care.